Welcome to the School for Mystics podcast with Misha Saido and Marina Galan. In this podcast, Marina and I will share with you unique and contrarian perspective of how our lives really work. Hi, Misha. How are you today? Hi, Marina. Hey. This is the first time that I get to say what we're going to talk about. <laughs> okay, go ahead. <laughs> Because for the first time today, our dear listeners, I must tell you that Misha and I were having a conversation and he just touched on something that I thought was really interesting. And it has to do with coping mechanisms. Right. So, <laughs> coping mechanisms and how we heal ourselves before the illness strikes, when we see it coming. So, Misha, what do you have to say about that today? So, let's start with the explanation of what the coping mechanism is. I think that's important. Generally, we see people cope with emotions they do not want to feel in two ways. They either try to avoid life experiences or they try to control them. When they avoid or escape from lives, that's one of the strategies. And it might look like, let's say, in my particular case, sometimes I still struggle to feel accepted and welcomed. And my coping mechanism will be to isolate myself and to be alone. Another way to control the experiences is meeting only with people I know are accepting me. And this is what we call the controlling mechanism. I control my life experience so I don't feel hurt. And I guess this is what we are talking about today. <laughs> this is what we are talking about today. I find it so interesting that our minds play that game in which they uh, portray a possible future that we fear and decide to act on it even though it is not here yet. And by doing so, we get in our own way. We sabotage our own possibilities by making up that this is the one that is coming and what we should do about it now in order to prevent it. So that it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in which in order to avoid feeling rejection, I create a situation in which I will be rejected, but I can I can be prepared for it. I can, like you said, control it. Why do you think we do this, Misha? 
Jeez, I wish I knew. I think that's 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 the way we are wired evolutionally. You see, if we are talking about real threats, that's very good way to react. By the way, what is also interesting is our brain reacts also by validating our coping mechanism through neurochemistry. For example, if I successfully avoid public speaking I'm afraid of, I will get a hit of dopamine for being smart and staying healthy. Right. (laughs) The problem is that our brain doesn't differentiate between real threat and imaginary threats that we are experiencing only in our heads. Right. And in this century, there are no or very few real threats and majority of them actually are happening only in our heads. I absolutely agree. Like, we have built a reality in which the largest threat is to feel. Yeah. (laughs) How absurd is that? It is crazy. You know what triggered for me that reflection of me still being uncomfortable with not being accepted or with loneliness? So the other day... It actually happened on this weekend. My wife asked me like, hey, why do you think we have so few really close friends? And I never thought that we have few, actually. I thought that we have enough. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we have this and that guy. And, And she's like, yeah, but if you look at our... Just, just the sheer number of social contacts we have every week. It's like really low. Like it's okay, maybe meeting one friend a week. Sometimes weeks go by and we don't see anyone. And I always felt like that's the, the way life works and I felt comfortable. And then I realized like, hold on, wait a second. Maybe... The problem is actually was created initially by myself. And then there was another trigger. We are about to make a leap from like low seven figure business to kind of like middle numbers. And I'm seeing lonely or alone in my room. And I'm thinking, oh my God, I'll have to go through this discomfort again. What do you mean by discomfort? Like, oh, I will have to scale this company and I'll have to create new processes with my team and I'll have to go with problem solving and long working hours and keeping up my team motivated and solving majority of the problems like strategic problems thanks god i have team that is taking care of operations but majority of of strategic problems myself and 
it feels lonely as fuck. And the, the, the amount of discomfort is so high. Like, oh my God, again, you know, it's on me. Nobody's going to do it for me. I will have to do it alone. And it's freaking hard. What is hard about it? So what I want to understand is, yeah. I mean, I get that there is work in there. Yeah. But work does not necessarily mean struggle. For sure. And it sounds like there is struggle for you, but it sounds like the struggle is being created through this story of loneliness. For sure. Like the struggle is only in our heads. The struggle is only in our minds. And like, you don't even need to be a coach to understand that nowadays, that pretty much everything you create is created by your thinking process. But it feels so real. Like, there will be hundreds of hypotheses I will have to check and test. It will take time. And I will also, I will have to go through a lot of invalidation as I test all these hypotheses. Right? What do you mean by invalidation? Let's say you test particular product idea, you sell this product to hundreds of people and the product doesn't work and you have all this criticism coming from your clients and all, all this disapproving and all of that. And you have to be easy on yourself as you go through this process. Right. So the, the, the judgment for sure feels like rejection. And then the rejection is what feels like a struggle. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So as long as we understand uh, some natural part of the process, which is adjustment, right? Like trial and error, trial and error. It's like playing a hot cold game, right? Yes. That those adjustments, which are a natural part of a process when they are understood as failures, when they are understood as uh, mistakes, yeah. quote like, unquote. You're not doing it right. You should have done better. Right. What are you thinking about? Okay. Yeah. Got it. <laughs> well, isn't, isn't it amazing how we do this to ourselves? Like, we are so good at taking natural processes and polarizing them and saying, I want this part of the process, but I don't want that one. And this part of the process means I'm doing well, but that part of the process means I'm not. Yeah. You know, it would be as absurd as to polarize the learning process of how to walk in a child and saying, no, every time you fall, you are doing it wrong. Yeah. Right? I, I heard a statistic, that, and I don't know if, if this, is, this is accurate, but it, it sounds accurate. I heard a statistic that says that a child needs to fall an average of 500 times in order to learn to walk. Mm, yeah. But the average adult fails at something three times before giving up. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I read it. I also was surprised that every day to learn to walk, a child has to walk on average four stadiums. Wow. That's Can you imagine like four stadiums every day to learn to walk? Imagine that. 
But I have heard you say, Misha, that every time they fall, their muscles learn, their sense of balance develops, their sense of movement develops. And so every time they fall, there is harvest from that quote-unquote mistake. It's just that once we go into the system of polarizing natural processes, it becomes so unconscious to ourselves the way we do it, right? And what you are sharing right now, like those coping mechanisms have to do with trying to avoid one part of the process, which is essential to the process. Yeah, like when we look at this small baby, we understand that falling is walking. There you go. I like that. That's that's the like you, you cannot say, okay, here you're failing and here you're succeeding. Like it will be crazy to say like that about the child. But as I build my business, I in my mind I create this artificial boundary where I'm saying, okay, I'm a good boy here and I suck here. <laughs> yeah, we do that. <laughs> yeah. And the the whole struggle that even though truly created by my own mind triggers this feeling of loneliness and a lot of anxiety as well, I guess. So where is the anxiety coming from? It's like, you know, you're alone and there is no mommy or daddy who are coming to save you. Right. And you either do it or you're dead. <laughs> right. So is there a sense of uh, responsibility in there? Yeah. And the responsibility is like so overwhelming. Like you want someone to fly over and to save you. Just please rescue me someone. Fuck it. You know, like, <laughs> what I did. And also I was thinking about my coaching experience. So I want to get to the level of mastery I envision for myself. And I guess you as well, right? Right. No, no. You want to get to my level of mastery. Oh, yes, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I, I missed that part. Yeah. Yeah, of, of course. Yeah. So, and I like literally push myself every day for hours and hours to get better like every freaking day and i'm like geez i want to go watch netflix like really you know i want to go and have sex with i don't know like jessica alba but like why <laughs> <laughs> why i'm pushing myself to get better at what i do like it feels so freaking hard you know right and at, this, at the same time, there is a lot of excitement and enjoyment in the process as well, as this is what my spirit truly wants. Like, I am a builder, I'm a teacher, I'm a coach, I know that. But, geez, sometimes you just want to relax and feel loved. <laughs> wow. So, do you believe it's possible to relax and rest 
and feel loved while working. Theoretically. <laughs> right. So you just remove the struggle and then you can actually flow and rest in that flow, rest in that work. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Like the struggle is always optional. You don't have to do it unless you choose to feel it. Like you don't have to go through struggle. You don't have to think it's a hard work. You don't have to think you're lonely. You don't have to do all of that. You can just relax and do it. But you also need to understand that we don't have any control over our thinking processes. We are being thought. Right. So we don't, we not only not have to, it's impossible for us (laughs) to have any control. Yeah. Like you cannot switch this freaking machine off. It will keep thinking whether you like it or not. Yeah. Yeah. And, And the whole, like in, in the 1980s and even, even earlier with the rise of cognitive therapy, there was an idea that you can change your thinking. You can modify your thoughts. And generally, it has been a futile experiment. Right. Okay, so I have a question for you. Please. Are you ready? No. (laughs) (laughs) Come on, Misha. When have you not been ready for the present moment? Yes, okay. Sure. Okay. How does understanding the design of the mind, the design of a human being, help with this? Yeah, or helps me. How? It's not that I has woken up today and I have new thoughts about being lonely and being rejected and invalidating and all of that. It has been a part of my whole life. Like, But what kept me going is deep understanding that my behavior has nothing to do with my thinking process. What do you mean your behavior has nothing to do with your thinking? I don't have to react to what I think. Uh. Right. Okay. So your behavior doesn't have to be dependent or doesn't sure. have to yes. come from. Yes. I can respond. Like, I can choose what I do and how I act. And I can link my behavior to my deepest, truest aspirations, values, and desires. And I can skip the part where my mind thinks different stuff that I don't like. Right. So would it be fair to say that if you understand the design of the mind and how it operates, you can catch yourself when you are healing yourself before the illness strikes and you can refrain from doing that. You can just let that go. Yeah. Relax, become present again, show up and respond to what the moment is asking for you. For sure. I can, I don't have even to let it go, I can let it be. It's the same. Well, it's a, for me, in my language, <laughs> letting go is allowing something to just be. Yes. You know, and have, its, have its natural lifespan, just go and, you know. Yeah. And 
the minute you recognize your presence in the moment and also your devotion to your cause, your thoughts also dissolve. Devotion, let's say, when I am working on my coaching skills, in that moment, in that particular moment of me working on the skills, I don't have the thoughts, I'm lonely, I'm rejected, nobody right. loves me, like all of that, right? <laughs> <laughs> there you go, yeah. I am in devotion. I am busy in the moment, right? Yes. But when the devotion is over and I'm back to myself, to my ego, my ego will create that hell in my head. There you go. So in a way, understanding the design of the mind is what allows you to catch yourself on time and avoid the development of the coping mechanism before it strikes and gets in the way of your wisdom. One way for sure. Beautiful. But what if someone doesn't have this understanding yet that devotion is important? I think it's important to give another tool or another way to deal with your coping reactions. Generally, coping is launched by your emotion and emotion is created by a thought. You don't have to launch in reaction. It's enough for you to feel the emotion and make it your reaction. So suddenly, instead of trying to avoid or trying to control, your new reaction to your emotion is just feel it. So your new behavior is just feel the emotion and let it be. Right. So you are surrendering to the design. That's not really a, a tool or a technique. You're just surrendering to the wisdom of the design. But this is a behavior as well. This is the reaction. You're saying, okay, I have this emotion and I'm reacting by surrendering. Okay. Right. I know this is just semantics. Yes. But <laughs> for is. me, that is exactly the difference between reacting and responding. When I am responding, I am responding from my thought process, from my conditioning, okay. from my immediate, um, well, again, reaction. Mm -hmm. But when I allow that reaction to be and pass, I access a deeper state of mind from which I can respond to what the moment needs, not to what my thinking process needs. Yeah. Make sense? Absolutely. You know what's really fascinating? Initially, you have to respond and you respond by surrendering, by feeling what you're feeling and that's it. And allow, allowing your emotions be there. As you do it again and again and again, day after day, one day you wake up and this is your new reaction. 
You don't have to respond anymore. It is your reaction now. Hmm. Because I you see have what you mean. You have conditioned yourself, and now it is your reaction. So you, you, that would be another way of saying you have embodied the understanding. Absolutely. Yeah. Sweet. I like that because I think it was the last time that you were talking about the four levels of how we can um, consciously address things, you know, like the, the one who knows, but does not know that he knows the one who knows, but knows that he knows, mm -hmm. etc. And the last one you said, it becomes an embodiment, right? hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Beautiful. There you go. Yeah. So have you heard of another coping mechanism that is called domination or avoiding of domination? Mm, I'm not sure I know what you mean. So one of the drives we as species have just designed by evolution is desire to have a certain status and a certain place in hierarchy. So we are driven to dominate others in order to feel safe and protected. Okay. So it's like, it's, you can see that in animal kingdom as well. Like you have alphas, you have betas, and you have like everyone else, right? Like alpha, male, I am, email. Can you hear that? I am dealing with that right now because I have a new puppy at home. Oh my God. It looks like a big dog. Well, it it's a puppy. Like a dog. Okay. I know it sounds like a big dog, but this is what I'm dealing with because my older dog is now, you know, having to deal with the puppy trying <laughs> to become the alpha. It's exactly what you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So what you are trying to do in your life is not you per se, but what we are trying to do in our lives um, before we come to realization that it's all illusion is that we are trying to create a certain hierarchy for ourselves. We are trying to achieve a certain place in the hierarchy and the higher we are, the higher our status, the higher perception of safety and control okay so what you're saying is that a sense of hierarchy gives us a sense of peace of mind and control yes okay cool but some humans they realize that they don't have what it takes to be higher up in the hierarchy so their strategy will be avoiding Domination by any cost. Huh. Okay. I, I, I just I just have to say something. Please. A human being cannot realize that they don't have what it takes to be higher up in the hierarchy. They can realize that they have been limiting themselves from it. For sure. Yes. Good. Okay, cool. Yes. Okay. Now, now we can continue. Yes. Yes. And thanks. <laughs> Thank you for, for that comment. That's important. Yeah. So they understand that, hey, I don't want to dominate others, but I want, I don't want to be submissive. I don't, okay. I don't want submission. 
that's a really cool game, like not playing the game. Yeah. So how do, how do you go about it? But that's the problem is this still when you avoid submission, it means that you believe that the game is real. So it's just another side of the coin. Yes, you are not dominating, but you believe that someone can dominate you. So you are trying to avoid being submissive. So, so that you're still, you're not playing the game, but you're still caught up in the game. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So, uh, what would you recommend in order for us to realize that we can actually leave the game? Yeah. So you can drop the game altogether. You can drop it. And the way you drop it is by allowing life be, just be. If someone wants to dominate, you don't have to think that you need to run and you don't have to believe that someone is dominating because someone is dominating is a thought. It cannot be the reality. Okay. May I share a story with you? Please. Mm, a few years ago, I was playing a board game with my sons and uh, they had to build railroads from one city to another city in Europe. And, um, you know, you, we each had three cards and each of those cards had the name of two cities that we had to connect. And so suddenly one of the boys uh, accidentally shows his cards to the other boys and they lose it and they go in a rage, rampant rage of my brother is cheating because he's not connecting the cities that are in his cards. He's doing something completely different. And so I have a conversation with him and he tells me, yes, this is true. I want to connect Lisbon and Vladivostok. That's what I want to do. <laughs> and so the brothers are trying to explain to him, but that's not the game. That's not the goal of the game. The game is to connect the cities that are in your cards. And the boy was asking, but that's not, that's not the game I want to play. I want, I want to connect Lisbon and Vladivostok. And the other two were really upset until he explained to them, well, I am not really competing with you. I am not aiming to win your game. I am playing my own game, which has to do with connecting these two cities. But that's cheating. He said, no, that's not cheating because I am waiting for my turn, you know, rolling the dice, following the directions. I'm just playing a different game. And then we had an amazing conversation about how in every game, there are two games happening simultaneously. So you have the games in which you break off in which you are playing the apparent goal of the game and there's a bigger game. So you can have a hundred board games and each of them will tell a story and will present a different um, mm -hmm. goal in the game. Yeah. But all those board games have the same 
objective of bringing people together around a table and having a good time. And if you miss that game and you become too invested in the game inside the board game, you will not have a good time. You, you may win the small game inside the board game, but you will definitely lose the big game outside the board game. Is this making yeah. any sense in relation yeah, to what you were talking I love it. I love it so much. It's like this idea that you can win the small game, but lose the big one. Ah, there you go. Yeah. But you must be then aware of the big game in order to be present to the big game. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So here's the question of the 64,000. Please. (laughs) What do you think? the big game in life is. Mm, love it. Actually, I was thinking about it as you were sharing this story. I have two answers. Should. The first answer would be the goal of the big game is experience. Ah experience it all. And then the second answer, the goal of the big game is eternity. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So experience for what? Because in, you see in, the way I am looking at what you're saying, they are so interconnected. In- interconnected? Yeah. You mean the first and the second? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure they're interconnected. Huh. Yeah. Because the experience is never going to end. Huh. Right? It's like experiencing every experience there is for you. Because this is the only way you can truly understand the unity. Right. The eternity part is playing the game that will never end. As you enter the game, understanding there is no finish, the way you play the game will obviously change. There is no goal. There is no yes. There is no way to win it. We are all playing it for sure. Perfectly. Yes. We are is- immersed in a sea of experience and we can't get it wrong. Yes. 100%. There is no way you can lose the game. It's all about the process. It's all about the journey. So you become aware of the process. You become present to the process. And then you harvest from the process. Yeah. Whatever is needed. Yeah. So the other day I was reading this fantasy book. It's called The Way of Kings. And in this book, there are different orders of people who have magical powers. But for every human being to join the order, you have to say the words. Now, nobody is telling you what words you have to say. You need to come up with these words 
And if the words are accepted, you will join the order and you will acquire the magical power. <laughs> now, for every order, for every like tribe there, the first sentence is the same. And they have to come up with the sentence themselves. Like they have to find it themselves. Oh my God. This is, this is like the sorting hat in Howard's. <laughs> yeah. So, but I love the words and the words are life before death, journey before destination. Oh, yes. And they have to find these words. They, you, they need to use their life experience to understand what the life is about. And once they say these words, they become masters of like of the order. Beautiful. Yeah, and I love it. I love the idea that, hey, yeah, probably there is like the end is maybe somewhere, but you don't have to chase the end. You don't have to run towards the end. There because is no end. Yes, like it's not about the end. It's about what happens before it. It's about what's happening now, which is eternity. Yes. I have come to see, Misha, that we live immersed in experience. And experience breaks our hearts. And it allows them to grow so that they become more able to love, more able to understand, more able to meet the other and meet life again. And so harvesting from experience implies by definition that our hearts will break and that we will love again. Yeah. Our hearts will break might also be just a story. Well, here's the thing. If it doesn't break, love cannot come in. Yes. And so there is no story. And the life is about the story. It is. I am thinking now of the poem Ithaca by Kavafis, mm. which explains precisely this. And I would like to invite anyone listening to go and read the poem Ithaca by Konstantin Kavafis. I love it. One of the favorite. <sighs> yep. One of my favorite too. Okay. All right. Good episode. Thank you, Misha. Thank you, Marina. See you next time. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the School for Mystics podcast.